0: Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means that you'll hear two hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the day in history class
1: from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and it's August 20th. On this day in 1619, a ship called the White Lion arrived in Virginia. The crew of the ship came ashore with about 20 Africans. They traded these Africans for food and for some repairs. The Africans were then taken to Jamestown and sold. And so this is commonly cited as the first appearance of enslaved Africans in what would become the United States or the first slave ship in what would become the United States. There's a little murkiness about this, though, Virginia didn't yet have any kind of laws condoning or governing slavery, so the legal status of these people is a little bit unclear, and we don't really know whether they were enslaved for life or whether it was treated more like the indentured servitude that was more common at the time. Also, the transatlantic slave trade had been established back in the late 1400s, and it initially ran alongside Spanish and Portuguese colonization of the Americas, just as one example, a Spanish expedition arrived in what's now South Carolina, hoping to establish an outpost there in 1526. They had enslaved Africans with them. In November of that year, those enslaved Africans launched an uprising that was so successful that Spain ultimately abandoned the entire attempt. At least half a million Africans had already been enslaved and brought to the Americas by 1619. Not all of that in North America, But none of that was in an English colony. The people who were aboard the White Lion had been part of these Portuguese efforts in the Americas. They were probably captured by the Portuguese in the Portuguese colony of Angola in West Central Africa between 1618 and 1619. Thousands of people were captured during this Portuguese campaign, enough to fill six slave ships, Unlike on most other slave ships that we talk about in the transatlantic slave trade, these people were probably all from about the same place. They probably all were from the same ethnic group. They probably all spoke the same language. One of these ships was bound for Mexico when it was raided by the White Lion and one other English ship that was called the Treasurer. The captain of the Portuguese ship wrote about it having been robbed by English corsairs. The treasurer also came away with enslaved Africans and arrived in Virginia with them and did much the same thing that the White Lion had done four days earlier. For a long time, these people were believed to have arrived in Virginia on a Dutch warship that had come from the Caribbean, and that's because John Rolfe described it that way when he wrote up an account of what happened. The real story wasn't uncovered until 2006. So using 1619 as a milestone in the history of slavery in the United States is a little deceptive. Yes, this may have been the first enslaved Africans in an English colony in what would become the United States, but there were already enslaved Africans in Spanish and Portuguese territory in what would become the United States long before that. It also shouldn't be taken as an overall example of what slavery was like and what would become the United States. Virginia, like I said, didn't have any laws governing the institution of slavery, so it's not clear whether these Africans were treated as enslaved for life or whether it was more of a temporary indenture. The first person we know who was documented to be enslaved for life was in 1640 in the what would be the United States. And the colony of Virginia recognized slavery by law in 1662. So it was almost 50 years after the White Lion, by the time there was actually a law in Virginia detailing how slavery would work, Over time, the institution of slavery evolved so that not only was it lifelong, it was also hereditary, and it was also tied to a person's race. Thanks to Christopher Hasiotis for his research work on today's episode and to Tari Harrison for her audio work on all of these episodes. You can subscribe to the Stay in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for a revolution that established a whole new nation which had its own ramifications in other
0: parts of the world. Hey, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was August 20th, 1858. British naturalist Charles Darwin and Alfred Russell Wallace published the first printed formal exposition of the theory of evolution by natural selection. In the early 1800s, French naturalist Jean-Baptiste Lamarck developed a coherent theory of evolution. By then, ideas around the transmutation of species, as evolution was called, were already percolating. And during these years, the principle of natural selection had already been recognized. Natural selection is the process that leads to the survival and reproductive success of organisms best adapted to their environments, and that causes the selective reproduction of the best genetic qualities. But Darwin and Wallace's work put a spotlight on natural selection. After reading Robert Chambers' book, Vestiges of the Natural History of Creation, Wallace became intensely interested in figuring out how evolution works. He traveled and collected and studied plants and animals. In 1854, he left for an expedition to the Malay Archipelago and spent years studying specimens, writing, and contemplating evolution. In 1855, while he was in Sarawak in Borneo, he wrote a paper titled On the Law Which Has Regulated the Introduction of New Species, which demonstrated his understanding of the process of evolution. Scottish geologist Charles Lyell read Wallace's paper and began to consider theories of evolution. In 1856, Darwin told Lyell that he had been working on a theory that explained how evolution worked for 20 years. Lyell encouraged him to publish his ideas, but Darwin was set on writing an extensive book on natural selection. Around the same time, Wallace would come up with the idea of natural selection. He wrote an essay on natural selection on an Indonesian island in February of 1858. He then sent the essay, along with the letter, to Darwin, whom he knew was interested in evolution. The letter arrived at Darwin's house in Kent in June of 1858. So British botanist and Darwin's friend, Joseph Dalton Hooker, linked up with Charles Lyle, and they decided to present Wallace's essay, along with excerpts from Darwin's writing on natural selection. They presented the paper at a meeting of the Linnaean Society of London on July 1st, 1858. Darwin and Wallace were not present at the meeting, which was attended by around 30 people. On August 20th, the paper was published in the Journal of the Proceedings of the Linnaean Society, Zoology. Its title was On the Tendency of Species to Form Varieties and On the Perpetuation of Varieties in Species by Natural Means of Selection. In the publication, Darwin's writings were put before Wallace's essay, making it seem like Darwin's contributions took priority. The paper included extracts from Darwin's 1844 manuscript of a work on species and an abstract of a private letter Darwin addressed to American botanist Asa Gray in 1857 to show that Darwin's views had not changed between 1844 and 1857. The paper also included Wallace's essay titled On the Tendency of Varieties to Depart Indefinitely from the Original Type. In the introduction to the paper, Lyle and Hooker say that both Darwin and Wallace conceived the same theory and can, quote, claim the merit of being original thinkers on the topic, and that both of them unreservedly placed their papers in our hands. But that was not the case. Wallace later said that his essay was printed without his knowledge and without any correction of proofs. The paper was reprinted in other magazines, Darwin decided to halt work on his extensive book on the subject and instead write an abstract of what he'd already written. That abstract became the foundational text On the Origin of Species, published in November of 1859. Wallace continued to work on and write about natural selection. Though Wallace has been overshadowed by Darwin in recent years, for his role in developing the theory of evolution by natural selection, Wallace acknowledged Darwin's pioneering work on the subject during his lifetime. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have any burning questions or comments to tell us, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Podcast. Thanks again for listening, And I hope you come back tomorrow for more delicious morsels of history.
1: For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.